I've spoken with a few people that have bucket list pets. And one of my bucket list pets is someday I want to own a black cat, a male black cat, and name him Gomez. Welcome back to Geek Channel 8. I'm Eric. And I'm Rosie. Last weekend, over the course of about three days, I watched Daisy Jones and the Six. It's on Prime. Really, really good. I watched it with uh, with my daughter, Harmony, and she was severely disappointed that they weren't a real band because the music was that good. Highly recommend watching that. It's a great storyline. And uh, it's just a mini series. It's based on the book. And from what I understand, it follows the storyline of the book all the way up until the end. So it doesn't look like there's going to be a sequel or anything like that that comes out. So just enjoy it in the moment. It's a great, quick series to watch with great music. And um, I really enjoyed the different storylines. The actors did a great job. And I just don't have enough good things to say about that series. Cool. I have been on a kick to watch things about the Paris Commune, which was the short-lived communist revolution that happened in Paris in the 1870s, I think. The uh, film The New Babylon, uh, you know, a Soviet-era communist film about it, as well as La Commune, uh, which was a French film about it, Boule de Suif, I'm saying it wrong, I'm sure, uh, just based on a Guy de Massapin short story that takes place at that time, and Angel and Sinner, which is a Hollywood version of it, and Stagecoach, which is the famous John Ford Western, which was also based on the same short story. I've been filled with communist stuff lately, I guess, uh, as we approach <laughs> May Day here. Well... That's kind of appropriate. <laughs> that sounds fascinating, actually. I didn't even... Sounds terrible, but I didn't even know about that. So now I'm going to have to look into it. <laughs> well, it only lasted for a few months. It was during the Franco-Prussian War. There's this third group that took over Paris and had their own sort of communist, some would say utopia for like three months or something until they kind of got crushed. Rather than do a background to the year, since we're going to talk about two different Adams Family shows today, I thought I would give a little background on what the Adams Family are and where they came from. Excellent. I like that. So the Adams Family is named after the creator, Charles Adams. 
Charles Adams was born in New Jersey in 1912. Basically, he grew up in a normal, uh, pretty normal household, but he grew up on Elm Street. <laughs> nice. <laughs> which I thought was kind of cool because the words Elm Street are notorious both for the uh, place where Jack Kennedy was assassinated and also the Nightmare on Elm Street. He was an illustrator, like a cartoonist illustrator, for the New Yorker magazine. And his cartoons were kind of like the far side, where it'd be like one panel with a caption underneath it. Yep, love the far side. <laughs> so the far side was probably influenced by Charles Adams. So he would do these illustrations in the New Yorker magazine, and I loved them as a kid because... Most cartoons that you would see were just like hand drawings, you know, that had been inked. But he he did watercolors. So they, even though they were all usually printed in black and white, they had all this neat gradation, which worked really well for his best cartoons, which were of these characters, Gomez, Morticia, Grandma, Uncle Fester, Wednesday and Pugsley and Lurch and, and Lurch thing. <laughs> Lurch and thing they didn't have a last name people just ended up calling them the Adams family because they were this family and they were created by a guy named Adams <laughs> he was always interested in horror stuff and he lived in a house with like a bat door knocker the real Charles Adams did and he was friends with uh, Alfred Hitchcock and Ray Bradbury. In fact, Ray Bradbury eventually does his own stories about a family kind of like this, although it's not officially the Adams family. And I think that uh, Charles Adams actually illustrated some stories of Bradbury's. So they were they were friends. Adams' nickname was Chill. I don't know why, but people called <laughs> him Chill. I remember seeing these cartoons when I was a kid and loving them. These watercolors were all gray, but they were all shades of gray, and they looked like nothing else in the New Yorker. Plus, I thought they were cool because I was into monster stuff and horror stuff, and I liked the fact that they were so off the wall and not normal. They were not normal in a really crazy way that they were in like this really super mainstream vanilla magazine, The New Yorker. <laughs> yeah. That made it even better. <laughs> he did a lot of cartoons for the New Yorker, like hundreds, and not all of them were these characters, the Adams Family characters, but the majority of them were, and those were like his best ones, in my opinion. That's definitely what he's known for. He would always sign his work, Chaz, C-H-S, Adams. Nice. Someone referred to them as ink wash. So maybe they weren't watercolor. Maybe they were ink wash. But it's the same idea. It's this black and white, shades of gray, kind of like watercolor except for with ink. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically the same technique, just a different medium used, but it's mixed with water. Even his non-Adams Family cartoons were interesting sometimes. Like, he had one where there was a Boy Scout who tried to hang himself and his father corrected him and said, that's not how you do a hangman's knot. <laughs> and, 
So that's an example of his non-Adams Family type cartoons. Even that was kind of dark. <laughs> yeah, especially for when it came out, because we're talking the 1940s or something. From 1940 on, for pretty much the rest of his life, he was contributing to The New Yorker. He had three wives. All of them looked like Morticia Adams, apparently. <laughs> I mean, can you blame him? She's gorgeous. Morticia and Gomez, in the comics anyway, they weren't even officially married. Really? I remember reading somewhere a long time ago that they weren't even technically married. It was only when they went to TV that the censors were like, they better be married. Oh, yeah. Okay, so in the 1960s, ABC decided to make it into a TV show called The Addams Family. There's different versions of how this happened. Some say that at ABC, they knew that CBS was developing the Munsters and they wanted to produce their own and they came up with The Addams Family, which actually ended up, I think, coming out before The Munsters. In my opinion, it's also better than The Monsters. Me too. <laughs> yeah. I watched both of them in syndication when I was a kid growing up. So, and I always liked The Adams Family better. Charles Adams said that Gomez and Pugsley are enthusiastic. Morticia is, even in disposition, muted, witty, sometimes deadly. Grandma Frump who is just referred to as Grandmama in the show, is foolishly good-natured. Wednesday is her mother's daughter. A closely-knit family, the real head being Morticia, of all each of the others is a definite character, except for Grandma, who is easily led. Many of the troubles they have as a family are due to Grandma's fumbling, weak character. Mm -hmm. The house is a wreck, of course, but this is a house-proud family, just the same, and every trapdoor is in good repair. <laughs> Money is no problem. They have relatives all over the world. They live in a Victorian mansion. In the comics, they live on Cemetery Ridge. In the TV series, The Residence is a mansion adjacent to a cemetery and a swamp located in an unspecified American town. In other versions of it, like the musical version, it was located in Central Park. In the 2019 movie, they live in an abandoned asylum on the outskirts of New Jersey. So it kind of moves around depending on which version of the Adams Family we're talking about here. Well, the swamp is a unique connection because I read a little bit about Gomez and, and how he obtained his wealth. And one of the things that helped him accumulate his wealth was he found a swamp and within the swamp they struck oil and that was one of the things that made them even more rich than they already were because like Gomez came from royalty Spanish royalty there's a bunch of different stories about their wealth another is that he's really good at playing the stock market because if you see in a lot of the early Adams Family TV shows he'll be in the the living room reading a stock ticker yeah <laughs> and in fact that's actually in a lot of the original comics anyway the Adams Family TV show the premise of the show according to David Levy who created the series 
in August 1964, he said, We have made the family full-bodied people, not monsters. They're not grotesque and hideous manifestations. At the same time, we are protecting the images of Charles Adams's children, as he refers to them. We are living up to the spirit of his cartoons. He is more than just a cartoonist. He's a social commentator and a great wit. I've also heard John Aston Gomez. Gomez, yeah. Kind of based his character for the TV show on Groucho Marx. Oh, you can totally see that. Yeah. John Aston is Sean Aston's dad. I did not know that. Yep. He is Sean Aston's father. Okay. Well, uh, that sort of ties things to uh, back to a previous episode. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> um, so, uh, guys, you can go back and watch our long series on... The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yeah. The series only ran for two seasons in 1964 and 1965, and I think ending in 1966, early 1966. So we watched season two, episode 25, but episode 59 of the overall series called Adam's Cum Laude. In this episode, Wednesday and Pugsley are in trouble at school and might get expelled for playing with dynamite caps at recess. <laughs> yeah. So Morticia and Gomez enroll them at a private school called Mockridge. And Mockridge is headed by Sam Hilliard. Now, Sam Hilliard, if you guys don't know, has already appeared a couple of times in the series. In the very first episode, the pilot episode, he was the truant officer that comes to their home. And then he also appeared in a previous episode about Wednesday and Pugsley's school. I think he, he was he a teacher or something. I, I'm not sure. But basically, the Sam Hilliard character has been in this a couple of times before and is a long-suffering character that doesn't like dealing with the Adams family. And Yeah, he is not a fan. Not a fan of the Adams family at all. <laughs> Wednesday and Pugsley, issues surrounding them going to school or to public school or to private school is like a recurring theme in Adam's family shows. Not just this, but throughout the history of these characters. A lot of things are set in schools. So Hilliard's not crazy that they're back. He's now the principal of this school. He's no longer the truancy officer of the previous school. Now he's a principal of this school and they're in some financial trouble. <laughs> and the Adams family shows up and they're like, we want our children to go to the school. And he's like, no, 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 there's nothing you can do to convince me to allow these children to go to school. Meanwhile, Gomez Adams is like counting out hundreds of dollars uh, in front of him and he gets an eye on the money and it's a perfect shot. He's like looking at the money and you see him changing his mind in real time. <laughs> he's like, well, okay. <laughs> he gives him $10,000. Adjusted for inflation, that would be close to $100,000 today. Wow. This is another running joke. Gomez is always like just handing out money left and right. Yeah, he's money means nothing to him. He's just like, 
I have the money to spend. I don't really care. Here. I'll, oh, you don't want my kids to go there? I'll just buy the school. <laughs> I'll change the curriculum. <laughs> but I... Yeah. So... Yeah, he buys the school, changes the curriculum, and insists that, you know, Mr. Hilliard continue to be the principal of the school. (laughs) And he changes the name to Adams Hall. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He resigns under the pressure from the Board of Regents, and the Adams family decides they're just going to run the school themselves. So they're going to have classes in head shrinking, taxidermy, Uncle Fester's in charge of demolition. Yeah. And Cousin It is like the professor of several things. <laughs> Grandmama's home ec. <laughs> Gomez is the headmaster. Yeah. <laughs> the parents are outraged. Right. The moms of the other kids demand Hilliard back. And they decide to give it back to him on one condition that he be in complete control that they don't have to do anything, and also that Uncle Fester is busy with another project, so he can't come back and do demolitions for years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was like working on some big project, and he's like, "I'm, I'm just gonna have to take a leave for a while," which, of course, is a, a, a relief to Mister Hilliard. You know, there's been a long history of using thing as a gag in the Adams family, and um, <laughs> I um. Watching this episode, I didn't realize that Mr. Hilliard had been in previous episodes, but I thought it was really funny when Gomez showed up to the office with all this money trying to, you know, give him money for tuition for Pugsley and Wednesday. And then, you know, he's sitting at his desk crying like, oh, my God, I got to deal with these kids again. And then Thing comes up and like pats him on the shoulder to comfort him. He's like, oh, not you, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Also in this episode, Thing gives him a cigar at one point and then lights it with a finger. (laughs) So Freaks Like Me loved this show. Yes. Freaks Like Me too. (laughs) I wanted to be that family. Like the, the show was put on the air to be like, oh, they're so horrible. They're so like, you know, whatever. But people like me were like, yeah, but you say that, but like. They get along better than my parents ever did. Right. You know, it's like, like, you can tell that, that, that Gomez really loves Morticia and vice versa. And it's a little bit weird, but I don't find it that much of a coincidence that there was eventually a movie called Adam's Family Values because it's not standard American perfect household. Like, you know, the weird uncle lives with them. There's all this other stuff, but they're more like a real family or the family I wanted to have. Yeah, same here. And I think that a lot of people who weren't mainstream could look at this show and be like, I actually prefer that. Yeah. To what I've got, you know, even though that's not the way it was supposed to be. It was like supposed to be, look at these weird freaks. Right. Yeah. In in that show, they try to do the opposite of everything. And I think it's kind of funny that in a show where they're trying to do the opposite of everything, the couple, the parents and the family are completely enamored with each other. And, you know, what kid wouldn't want their parents to be in love with each other and get along and support each other and be each other's biggest fan? Well, that's just one part of it. It's like 
Wednesday and Pugsley, they're like so much smarter than the other kids. Pugsley mastered calculus by the time he was like... <laughs> like nine years old. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. They say, you know, I loved the show and I watched it whenever I could. Same. Yeah. And I'd like to go back and rewatch the whole thing at some point. Yeah. Some other stuff I liked about this episode is that, you know, the family wasn't just... They didn't just come together at dinner time and then not see each other again. They like did stuff. Gomez is a bit of an intellectual, like he's performing in Latin at the beginning of yeah, this. That's the and opening I scene. <laughs> and then there's a scene where they're all playing music together at the end. Oh yeah. That was their music hour and they were all playing their own instruments in their own way. Yeah. In their own rhythm. <laughs> Didn't make sense. And, and of course at the end, Morticia just, acts like it's the most beautiful thing she's ever heard she's like the most positive character i think i've ever seen on tv it's just like oh he loved us so much <laughs> he remembered us you know the the different things even pugsley he was like he was like he'll turn the prettiest shade of purple when he finds out we're coming back to his school you know <laughs> i'd like this music scene because it reminded me of these cacophony parties we used to have where people just bring whatever and start playing on them <laughs> yeah. gomez is playing this weird instrument it's a stump fiddle which has also got a lot of other names like the devil's stick the devil's violin it's uh also known as a pogo cello mm -hmm. it's an instrument that's in a lot of skiffle bands in england and a lot of jug bands from the united states Notable bands or musicians that have used it. Jim Queskin's Jug Band, Mojo Nixon, Wren Collective, and Red Fox from... Sanford and Sons. <laughs> comedian from Sanford and Sons. He, he played the stump fiddle, too. It's like a stick. It's got a broom handle that's usually about six feet long or some other piece of lumber. And then there's a spring fastened at the bottom of the wood... There's a cookie tin or a pie pan or a tambourine or something like that attached to it. And then a length of bailing wires attached to the top and bottom of the wood stretched across the pie pan to resonate. Then other noisemakers or like bells and stuff are attached to it. And the sound is made by thumping it up and down on the ground. I thought that was kind of cool. Not often that you see the stump fiddle <laughs> on TV. Okay, so this show, like I said, ran up until 1966. Then it went off the air. But The Addams Family, not a spinoff from this show, but another spinoff from the comic strips from The New Yorker, made it to the air as an animated show in 1973 called The Addams Family. And this was a Hanna-Barbera production. Yes. It started with actually a crossover on Scooby-Doo that led to them getting their own series in 1973. Felix Silva, who was the voice of cousin it on the live action show from the sixties came back to do the voice of cousin it. Jackie Keegan or Jackie, Jackie Coogan who played Fester came back and voiced Fester on the cartoon and uh, Ted Cassidy, who was Lurch. He came back to voice Lurch on the cartoon as well. And Jodie Foster voiced Pugsley. 
Jodie Foster, Jodie Foster. The Jodie Foster wow. was the voice of Pugsley on the cartoon. I did not know that. Yep. She was 11 at the time. Wow. Okay. Now, if I ever meet Jodie Foster, I'm going to ask her about playing Pugsley. <laughs> Dr. Lecter. Dr. Lecter. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this show is a little bit different. Like I said, it's more based on the comic strips than on the previous TV show. The episode we watched was called The Roller Derby. It's Wednesday's birthday. You know, they're driving along. In this show, their house is actually a mobile home. So they travel around the country in a mobile home that looks like the spooky old house. And they drive past a billboard for a roller derby. So she decides she wants to go to the roller derby for her 13th birthday. So they do. They go to the roller derby. It's the angels and the demons. Mm -hmm. And the demons are clearly the heels, the bad guys in this. So the angels are the team that the Adamses decide to root for. Roller derby is not my area of expertise. So I am going to stop right now. Okay. <laughs> and I'm going to turn it over to you. But I think before we get too deep into this episode, since it starts with a birthday and a devil's food birthday cake, we should go to the lobby for our treat. Yes. Let's go to the lobby. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Devil's Food Cake is a version of a chocolate cake. The difference between that and Red Velvet Cake is that this cake actually uses more baking soda. And also, when you make this cake, ingredients like eggs, butter, milk, things like that, they have to be room temperature. So when you go to make this cake, you may want to set your ingredients out like in the morning before you make breakfast. Like if you have a birthday party to go to that afternoon or whatever, set your ingredients out so that they can be room temperature when you're ready to make the cake. And then things will be the way they need to be. You know, not only do your ingredients need to be room temperature when you make the cake, you have to let the cake cool all the way before you ice it or the icing will just melt and separate. So I found this recipe on easydessertrecipes.com. Um, I figured I would go there because not everybody is a baking aficionado and I don't expect anyone to be. It requires two 8-inch baking pans, a standing mixer if you have one, or a hand mixer. You can find the ingredients on there. It's actually kind of a long list of ingredients, so I won't bore you. But the most important thing is that your ingredients need to be room temperature when you make the cake. And it's a very rich chocolate cake. It was developed in the early 1900s during the Victorian era. The word devil was actually connected with foods that were very rich in flavor, like so rich in flavor that they were almost sinful to eat. So they would call them devil's food cake. That's why we have deviled eggs and other deviled things because they're rich in flavor. So if you ever see that, it's not because they were named after something evil. It was just because they were so rich in flavor that they almost felt sinful to eat. Ideally, you would make this cake with like a buttercream meringue. I've seen it made with white frosting and a chocolate frosting. So it's really up to you how much chocolate you want to consume. I'm a chocolate on chocolate on chocolate kind of person. So that's how I would probably make it. <laughs> um, so, you know, again, without boring you with all the details of all of the ingredients, you can just pull them up by going to easydessertrecipes.com. 
the recipe is just called Devil's Food Cake. So, enjoy. <laughs> the uh, the Adams family charm always works. But yeah, they, so they show up to this they show up to the roller derby bout. People are crowded outside. Nobody could get in. Nobody can get tickets. And of course, when they show up, people are like, oh my God, you know, like, let's get away from these weird people. So they basically like part the Red Sea of fans, get their tickets, go in, find a seat where they want to sit, scare the people away from where they were sitting. They're like, oh, the Adams Family Charm works again. <laughs> again, you know, I, I got to say this, the Adams Family, I love them. They, they seem like the sweetest family ever, but they also seem like they're really rich and clueless. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they're just like, they, they have a positive spin on anything because why would anybody think anything bad about them? So they take this positive spin, they find their, their seat, and they go to the roller derby bout. It's a cartoon, so of course they've added in some anthropomorphized animals. Yes. Pugsley's octopus and mm -hmm. they the have alligator. A crocodile too. Yeah. Alligator, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Which is hilarious because, I mean, would it even be Hanna-Barbera if they didn't have animals dressed up in people clothes? Right. Okay, so they go to the roller derby. It is a flat track. Now, I'm not sure about that because I thought it kind of looked like a bank track, but then again, I didn't see the railing. So it's the way that it was drawn, it kind of leaves it up to question. But what cracks me up is that the benches were in the middle and this track was huge. Okay. If I skated that track, I would be exhausted after one lap. It was like the Coliseum. Yes. Yes. That's what I was going to say. It looked like the size of the Coliseum or a stadium or something like that. Now, you know, in the real world, a roller derby track is much smaller, and I play flat track. I've never played a bank track. Now, if anybody out there is listening and you're on a bank track team, hit me up because I would love to come visit you. I would love to play some bank track derby. I've been playing for 12 years. I've been on my roller derby team, Black and Bluegrass Roller Girls, for like 10 now. I'm in my 10th season, but I've never played bank track, and I've always wanted to. So if you're listening, hook a girl up, okay? Anyway. All right, so let's talk about the bout here. This is all on you. Tell me what they did, what moves they did they do. Was it completely just an off-the-wall cartoon, or were any of the moves actual derby moves? And what did we think about the teams and all of that jazz? Okay. Yeah. So first of all, why were the angels red and the devils blue? That didn't make sense to me, but I... I don't know. The demons. Yeah, the demons. The demons were wearing blue uniforms, but they had red lettering. And the angels had red uniforms and blue lettering. And then they had opposite color buses. Like, the demons had a red bus. The angels had a blue bus. I don't know. It didn't make sense. Yeah, I think that maybe they got the coloring wrong when they went to go color it. Yeah. You know, someone got the colors wrong. And they just ran with it. Yeah, I really think. Yep. But they had the classic roller derby names. On the angels, they had... Their take on Shirley Temple. They had Shirley Templeton. The listeners might not be roller derby fans. So what is okay. a classic derby name? What is a derby name? So a, a roller derby name is is like a stage name for the sport. For example, my roller derby name is Briggs and Smackum. It's a take on the Briggs and Stratton lawnmowers and toilets, actually, because, you know, Briggs and Stratton engines are small, powerful engines, and I tend to be full of shit sometimes. So it makes sense that Briggs and Stratton would make toilets too that is my roller derby name sometimes it's picked for you sometimes it's something you come up with yourself 
I personally went out there on Facebook when I started playing roller derby and asked for opinions. And my friend Paul actually came up with this one. And I thought it was genius because my uh, family name is Briggs. So it makes sense that I would be Briggs and Smackham. Somewhat popular roller derby skaters out there. Scald Eagle. Beyond Slay. I was a big fan of from Windy City, which is the Chicago team. Mm-hmm. Eva Dead. Uh-huh. Yep. Eva Dead. Eva Dead. My daughter is actually going to be playing with me this year. And her roller derby name is going to be Anna Full Axis. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys remember Tank, when he was on the show, he's married to a woman who is a journalist. Mm-hmm. So her derby name is Miss Print. Miss Print. Yep. Okay. So that's a derby name. People get the idea. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So... So they have derby names in this too. Yes, they have derby names in this too. This is definitely old school 70s roller derby. There was a lot more violence allowed. (laughs) The announcer actually makes reference to it being a mixed league. So they're like, this is something you get in mixed league. Can you tell us what mixed league is? And is that like a thing? Yes, co-ed derby is a thing. As a matter of fact, Women's Flat Track Roller Derby Association, even though it's called Women's Flat Track Roller Derby Association, we do have trans athletes. And there's actually been a trend, and even my team is doing it now too, where they're moving away from gender-specific team names. So we've been going by Black and Bluegrass Roller Derby this year, uh, rather than Roller Girls. But even in uh, MURDA, which is Men's Roller Derby Association, they've had women on their team. I don't know about back then in the 70s but nowadays it's very common to have mixed gender teams we don't place a lot of importance on the gender we place a lot of importance on playing and having fun and and having a good game okay so there's an announcer is that a thing that is a thing our team announcer is scotty mouth shout out scotty mouth they get their own derby name too like if you're involved in roller derby you get a derby name you know my dad is papa briggs Well, what about the coaches? The coach was like, they don't call me... Pete the Cheat. Pete the Cheat. Pete the Cheat. Do the coaches get names too? Yeah. Our coaches are Joe Core and Creeper. Everybody in Derby gets Derby names. If you're a non-skating official, you get a Derby name. If you're a family member, you get a Derby name. Like everybody gets a Derby name. And then seeing grandma at the derby reminded me of like if my mom was at the derby she's like okay go jelly them and it's like no mom it's jam it's jam it's jam jam them that's also not how it works but okay a jam okay so in modern roller derby i'm not sure how it was then i i don't know enough about how the sport was played then. I just know that there weren't that many rules and, and you could get by with a lot more violence. You know, like you could clothesline people. You could elbow people in the face. Like you could like make them go flying off the track, which happened a lot in this episode. Oh, so what you're saying is it used to be cooler. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's safer now. So it's just safer now, you know, because of lawsuits. Back then that wasn't such a, so much of a thing, but... There was a lot of things that would never fly today. A lot of fantastical things. But I did see jammers going through. I saw a point being made. There was a part of this where like they couldn't get by because the demons had like four people taking up the whole track, like blocking them from passing. They were in a wall, which is a derby thing. Yeah. And then there was 
I'm sure this never happens today, but like, I was like, okay, so they just made up this thing where they like flung a person over top of them and he goes to score the point. Right. Well, like <laughs> when I saw like the Wikipedia page for this, there was a, sh a photo from like the 1950s or something and there were fallen skaters and, and their skaters are like jumping over them. Yeah. And so it's like, at least at one point in time in Derby, this actually happened. Yeah. Like that kind of stuff. Okay, so we do have what's called jumping the apex. And you don't see blockers do this. You see jammers do this when they're trying to get by a pack of blockers. If they reach just the right spot in the turn, they can jump the apex. Now, the only way that they get to point on the blockers is if they land and can skate away. If they fall, they don't point. But if they land, they get the points. One of the first moves I saw on this was like, one of them like reaches back and grabs another by the hand and like slingshots them forward. That's a whip. Like, mm -hmm. that's legit. That's a legit derby move. And we still do that today sometimes. Yeah, they did call it a whip in this. Mm -hmm. So at least some of the stuff in this cartoon was actually correct. Yeah, some of it, it was, was correct, really, really but exaggerated, but you know. But definitely exaggerated like the movie Whip It. Way exaggerated like the movie Whip It. <laughs> so I, I thought it was great. I love watching roller derby episodes because I've been playing roller derby for so long and so many people know that every now and then if they come across a roller derby episode of something, they send it to me and so I can check it out and give my opinion or, you know, just because they were thinking of me, which is always sweet. I love that. Definitely that last move that kind of won the game when everybody did the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It was like Lurch, Fester, and Grandmama leaning over the wall. And then Pugsley and Wednesday got up and, like, skated over them. Like, first of all, that would hurt. And I would hate to see the bruises on their bodies, like, the day after. That would just be painful. And poor Grandmama being on the top. <laughs> or, no, no, no. It was, go it was <laughs> yeah, there's Grandmama. And Gomez was in that stack, too. That would never happen today. Yeah. You don't see jammers jumping over blockers. But it was still cool, you know, that they did that in a cartoon and, and made it happen. But, you know, once again, this episode did kind of showcase how nice and wholesome the Adams family actually is. Because when they saw the angels broken down on the side of the road, they did offer to help them. The whole reason why the Adams family had to play was because the team was scared off unintentionally by Grandmama and Uncle Fester, who were coming up with a cheer for the team. <laughs> And and basically telling the angels to bury the demons into the ground. But, you know, one of the players misheard that. It was like, they're trying to bury us all. And they defected, you know. Uh, <laughs> it was bury them angels. Yeah. Bury like, meaning like bury the other team. But like, yeah, it's like commas buried. are important. Bury them, comma, angels, not bury them angels. So <laughs> did you like it? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I actually watched it a few times. Both episodes I watched a few times. If you liked this episode, you can write to us at GC8Podcast, that's letter G, letter C, number 8, podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. If you like the show, tell one other person about it. Yeah. If everybody does that every week, we will get bigger and bigger and hopefully uh, we can make the podcast better. Yeah. Tell a friend. Until next time, I'm Eric. And I'm Rosie. Signing off.